0: Father, we give you thanks again for your love for us, uh, that you have spoken to us, you have spoken to us by your Spirit, through the things that have been made, uh, through the prophets and the apostles, and through your Son. We pray, Lord, that you give us ears to hear, that you give us hearts that are eager to receive your word, feet that are swift to obey, and we pray this morning that you bless us as we think about your word and its impact on our lives, and uh, we ask this. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. For so the wages of sin is... Amen.
1: So
0: there's a payday for everything. You, uh, Whatever we do, whatever uh, is the product of who we are, the things we say, the ideas that we have, the behavior that we have, All of that has consequences, it all produces something, and there is always a payday. The theme of our conference is investments for your future, and uh, it is important to understand that, so there's a cause and effect to everything we do, and so collectively that's true. That's why when one of us sins, it, it impacts the others that are around us, it impacts our families. In impacts churches. That's also true when we're godly. So the more godly we can encourage one another to be, uh, that helps me out. That helps you out. It surrounds me with the right kinds of things. So communities are critical uh, for individuals. So it's, it's both a collective and an individual thing. Each of us should personally pursue holiness. And then collectively, we help one another do that. We're marching together in this. So, do any of you struggle with sin? Okay, tell me about the struggle. How do you struggle with sin? What are some things you do in that struggle? You just think about it. You don't have to think of it as a, just a rhetorical question here. How do you struggle? What does that struggle look like? You see, I really think, As a pastor, what I've seen over the years, I've had lots of people tell me, I struggle with anger, I struggle with lust, I struggle with uh, all kinds of things. But they really don't struggle at all. It's really a metaphor for, I've given in. I've surrendered. Because when I press and ask, how are you struggling? There's usually no answer. I want to talk to you about how to struggle. We should be struggling. We should, we're in a war. We're in a war with sin. We're in a war with not only our sins, but the sins of the world. Sin is our, is our problem. It's everybody's problem. It's the world's problem. The gospel is the answer to that problem because it deals with sin. And God has given us the tools to deal with sin. Our sins as well as the others. Second Corinthians uh, 10, 4-6. Uh, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. So we're talking about the struggle, right? But mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Bringing every thought captive uh, into captivity to the obedience of Christ. And being ready to punish all this obedience when your obedience is fulfilled. So, in order to engage in this warfare, uh, we have to pull down the strongholds. We have to pull down the things that are enabling us to sin, or others to sin, or maybe it's society. Again, it's broad and it's narrow. But essentially, the things that God have given, that He has given us for struggle, would be His Spirit, the Holy Spirit. And uh, that might be manifest, for example, when we pray and uh, the Spirit intercedes for us and we're, we're communing with God, talking to God, and uh, pouring out our hearts before Him and making our requests known to Him and giving Him thanksgiving and all the things we do in that relationship. But the Spirit also has given the Word of God. And that's where we're going to be focused today, is how is the Bible used in this struggle? How is it a weapon in this very significant struggle that we are in? How can it be used to invest in our future? And of course, the church, as I've already mentioned, the community that we live in is the other place. We have one another. We have encouragement. We have prayer. We have rebuke. We have... um, the companionship that comes with being with one another. That's why we're doing something like this. We want to be together. We want to develop relationships because those are important uh, for our struggle. We're not out. If we're out there all by ourselves, we perish. So uh, the other thing I want to mention here is uh, the exponential nature of investments. The Bible teaches us this, that little things become big things. He who is faithful in little, will be faithful in much. When David uh, was a young man, probably a teenager, and he was out taking care of what his big brother referred to as those few sheep, in a very condescending way, Eliab said to him. Uh, But what was David doing when he was out taking care of those few Well, then he learned how to use a slingshot. Uh, He wrote poetry. He learned how to play the harp, uh, just to name a few things. Did those come in handy later? Yeah. Uh, Landed a job, a gig in in the palace, uh, a harpist, which put him into the central works of the palace where he would someday be king. We're still singing, we just sang, we're just singing the Psalms, right, that he wrote. And, of course, we know what he did for a slingshot. So he wasn't wasting his time when he was out there with those few sheep. In the day of small beginning, he was faithful, and God took that faithfulness, plus a man after his own heart, and brought those together to to make him the shepherd of Israel, the king, and uh, a mighty warrior. So the power of habit, particularly daily habit, little things become big things. And that's true, whether that's sin or righteousness. The little things you're doing each day are going to, think of that as a bud on a a flower, a plant, that's going to come into full bloom at some point. It never stays the same. So those little things, good or bad, are going to grow up and become big things in your life. So, I want you to invest wisely. If you read hear commercials about this investment, that investment on the radio or whatever, it always has that little word at the end. Invest wisely. Be sure you don't assume that everything we're telling you is true. Uh, be careful. And I'm telling you to be careful. Invest wisely. Each of you, each of us, have a trajectory. Wherever we're standing right now, we're headed somewhere. And people who are wise, who've lived long enough, can often look at someone and say, I see where this is headed. Sometimes when I do weddings, I have, uh, there, there are weddings when I go, oh my, uh, this doesn't look good. This is not going to go well. This, is gonna be, this could be a train wreck. You can't stop it. A uh, team of wild horses couldn't stop this, they're in love at least today they are and then there are others where it's like I can hardly wait to see what God's going to do with this couple it's going to be glorious it's going to be earth uh, shattering and, and world changing what they do as a couple because of their commitment to Christ their commitment to one another the solid foundation you just say I know how this story ends and there's a lot of Stuff in between, but the ability to see the trajectory, and, and it's harder to see our own trajectory, except that we have the Word of God that tells us: if you do these things, here's what happens. There's blessings and curses. You do these, but you do another. That's the Book of Proverbs, right? The fool and the wise man. The wise man has one outcome. The fool has another outcome. And as we read that, we're to find ourselves in that story. In Joshua chapter 1, uh, verse 7 through 9, it says, Only be strong and very courageous, that you may overcome to do all, according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn to the right hand or to the left, that you may prosper wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night. That you may observe to do according to all that is written therein. Then thou shalt make thy way prosperous. Then thou shalt have good success. So, investing in your future. The word of God. Planted deeply in you. That's what I really want to emphasize today. It's going to have to be in you for it to be effective. You're going to have to, where do I take this money that I'm going to invest or i take it down to and I invest it in the stock market or I invest it in crypto or I invest it in, in real estate. You put that money somewhere where you think it's safe or it's going to multiply and prosper. What do you do with the word of God? Where does it need to be in order for it to be prosperous? Psalm on 119, 9 and 11 we're talking about struggling with sin. It says, wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his ways? How do, you, how do you engage in the struggle? By taking heed thereto according to thy word. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. So the word of God in the heart, that's where it's got to be, if you're not going to sin, if you're going to fight the battle, the battle doesn't come on a schedule. It shows up out of nowhere. And if your Bible's sitting on a shelf at the house and you're somewhere else, that Bible is not doing you any good at all. But if it's right here, in the heart, in the head, then you've got something to work with. Now, I want to ask you about memory. I know everybody here can memorize. If I were to ask you your address, most of you can spell it out pretty quickly, your email address, or certain other things you'd memorize. I know you can memorize. Memorizing does get harder when you get older, <laughs> but it's, uh, you're especially at a point where memorization <laughs> is easy. And I remember when I was 18, I, my, my one day my, my wife and I were in school. We weren't married yet. So we went to Oklahoma Baptist University, and the freshmen had to show up a couple of weeks early. They had a few upperclassmen there to harass us. Um, and one of the things the freshmen had to do was memorize the school yell. And here I am, so many years later. Um, so that was 1972. Ooh, man. <laughs> Here's the school yell. We have to learn to say this in under six seconds. Carip crap, cripple, tipple, tap, oh, oh, rito, linko, lingo, hob, totemus, hopulus, kipula, capula, capula gotamus, chinkalak, chinkalik, bull, claw, claw, claw victory, oh, oh, chin, you're chin, you again. Ragno, tagula, metal, good man, let it go, rip, let it go, loose. Tingula, tangula, thermal loose. Zip bang, over you. <laughs> We had to memorize that like in two days. The first two days were there, and they had what they called bop cops. And if they came around and you they, you had to say correct and if you couldn't, then they could make you do other things you didn't want to do. <laughs> so uh, I learned that I could memorize things. I learned that however many years ago that uh, is, somebody else can do the math. But was um, it forty years, fifty years, fifty years ago? It's 45. forty-nine years ago. So this is 22, so that's close. Um, um, so anyway, it's stuck. That's my point. It's worthless, except for this illustration. <laughs> <laughs> you should never know. That's right. <laughs> it, has, it has occupied that little memory spot all these years. So memory makes information accessible. And scripture on the shelf, again, not nearly as useful as scripture uh, that's memorized. This will serve you all the days of your life. Uh, Spurgeon said if you learn to say no, it is of far more value than learning Latin. Anybody agree with that? Uh, So there are things like that. Um, I say if you memorize scripture, it will be of more value than a college degree uh, in terms of the quality uh, of your spiritual life. Uh, many of the passages that I know, uh, some that I've already cited, I learned when I was your age or younger. In the high school, I had a friend that really pushed me in a good way. He, the young man became my best man. He was two years younger than me. He acted uh, I like think, was two years older than me. He's a, currently a professor at uh, Colorado State. Uh, really bright guy. I love the Lord, uh, and he, hey, you want to memorize scripture? I was like, yeah, yeah. I didn't know how. You know, I really had to do it because every day he would ask me, about, "Okay, can you say your verse?" And so I, could, you know, first I was memorizing scripture because I knew Tim was going to ask me if I could say my <laughs> verse. So he held me accountable, and that might be something you want to think about. Get a partner, get somebody. Hey, you want to memorize this passage with me? And you say it to each other. And I'm going to, at the end of this, give you a page that will talk to you about how to memorize Scripture and the process that's useful. And then one summer, uh, I can't do it now, this one is not with me, but he said, hey, you want to memorize the book of 1 Peter? Sure. So we spent a whole summer uh, working on that. Well, um, Psalm 119 says, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light into my path." These are not cliches. These are not just um, um, nice, quaint little sayings. This is the truth. So I need my path in life. I need to be able to see where I'm going. And God's word, we talked about this last night in the devotional. God tells us things we can't know by ourselves. So I need to have his word there. And so I want to look at a few passages of Scripture that demonstrate the value of this essential element. John 8, 31-32, And Jesus said to those Jews who believed in him, If you abide in me, and my word abides in you, you are my disciples indeed. You're my students indeed, if you know my word. My word is in you, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. You may want to be free then you got to know the truth. You've got to know the Word. Matthew 7. I'm going to just read a few passages here. Uh, 7.24 Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine, Jesus said and does them, I liken him to a wise man who built his house on rocks. And the rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew, and beat on the house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. Everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain descended, floods came, winds blew, beat on the house, and it fell. And great was its fault. You think you're going to have any storms in your life? So what have you built on? Okay? The words of Jesus. The words of God. You're going to need them. And if you don't have them, it's, it's like a first aid kit that you left at home. Okay. And right now, you're bleeding. Okay, so you, It's got to be with you to, to be effective. John 8, 31-32, And Jesus said to those Jews who believed in him, If you abide in me, if you abide in my word, you are disciples indeed. You're real students. You're real disciples. And you shall know the truth. Anyway, so, And then, excuse me, John 15, 7-8, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. By this my father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciple. So that's that the fruit of having made this investment. This is the return on this investment. This this few minutes, literally, per day will change your life. It will change your marriage, it'll change your child raising, it'll change everything about you if you said, I'm going to spend three to five minutes of my day memorizing scripture. And I'm I'm not exaggerating. It takes that little time to make an enormous investment and difference in your life. If you write it out on little cards, pick it in your car, pick it in your pocket, pick it in your purse, and you've got a couple extra minutes and pull that out and if that becomes a habit it's hard, it'd be hard for me to calculate what a difference that would make in your life I can't think of any single thing that would give you a greater return than that Second, um, twenty-three, Timothy 3, 16, and 17 all scriptures given by inspiration of God profitable for life. Doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction in righteousness, so that what? The man of God may be complete or mature, thoroughly equipped for every good work. So, the Word of God is profitable for what? To teach you, tell you what road to be on. To profit, that's a doctrine, reproof, tell you where you get off the road, correction, tell you how to get back on the road. Instruction in righteousness tells you how to stay on the road, so that you'll be equipped, you got all the equipment you need to make you mature, perfect, complete. For what? For everything. For every good work. That's investment advice. Hebrews 5, 13 through 14. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age or mature, that is, those who by reason of use have had their senses trained. And that word there, where we get our word gymnasium, uh, have had their their senses, their spiritual senses, trained to discern both good and evil. Do you think our world, do you know people, perhaps yourself, who have a hard time knowing the difference between right and wrong, that call evil good and good evil? We have a confused world. Uh, We can go to Ephesians 4 about those who are tossed by every wind of doctrine. But if you've got the Word of God... And not just the milk. But you've got the word of God. You've worked out in the word of God. Then you can tell the difference between good and evil. It increases your senses. I'll give a few illustrations. Let's say you have a problem with anger. Well, you can say Proverbs sixteen thirty-two. 32. I'm going to memorize two verses. And I'm going to memorize and We'll talk about this in a minute. We're talking about how to over-memorize so it's not like, I kind of remember that verse. Proverbs sixteen thirty two. He who's slow to anger is better than the mighty. He who rules his spirit, then he who takes a city. Ephesians 4, 26 and 27. Be angry and do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger nor give place to the devil. If you See how short those are? If you memorize those two and you associate it with a topic, anger, then when you're tempted to be angry, guess what pops in your head? It's right there. There's that cartoon where you got the devil on one shoulder and the angel on the other. Okay. Well, this is the angel. okay, The messenger of God right there. Okay. Watch done. Know what happens when you don't. Okay. What about anxiety? Isaiah 26, 4. You will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever. For in Yah, the Lord is everlasting strength. Thou will keep them in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on the for who trusteth in me. Philippians 4, 6-7 Be anxious for nothing but in everything. By prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which passes understanding, will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. Would that be handy to have when you're anxious? <coughs> Communication. You're going to need that, right? Your spouse, your friends, your parents. You tempted when you're angry to say things you shouldn't say. Ephesians 4:29. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good and good for necessary edification, that it may give grace to the hearers. How many? Corrupt words can come out of your mouth? Zero. No yelling, no cursing, no name calling. none. I forget that sometimes when I'm upset. But when I have this passage right there, I can't forget it. I can't use that excuse for sure. Oh, I didn't know what I was supposed to do. I tell you in counseling I have this philosophy. You either don't know what to do, you don't know how to do it, you need some help doing it, or you don't want to do it. I can help you with the first three. As a pastor. Because I have a Bible. So I can, okay, here's what the Bible says. This is what you're supposed to do. This is how you're supposed to do it. you need some help, I'll get you a partner. I'll get you a friend. I'll get you somebody to come alongside. Oh, you don't want to do it? Can't help you. You're on your own. Colossians 3, 8-10. Communication. But now you yourselves are put off by these, are to put off all these anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge, in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. So sometimes you have a little short passage, sometimes you have a longer passage. How many topics? I forgot to bring it in. I have a little book out a car called uh, Wisdom for Today's Issues. It's a topical arrangement of the Proverbs. So you to find one of these topics. It could be lust, love, respect, submission, prayer, the word, friendship. Go find two verses. Attach the topic. Memorize the verses. And you've got equipment. You just put more. I, sometimes I look at people, and I thought about earlier when I look at marriages, and I go, oh no. It's because there's either not any tools in the toolbox, or the tools are rusty, or they're not sharp, or they don't know how to use them. They're worthless. You need a bunch of tools. Oh, I'm a woodworker. I got a bunch of- You can't have too many tools, right? You got to have tools, uh, and you got to have good tools, and they got to be sharp, and they have to be available, and you have to learn how to use them, or they're worthless. Now, there's a passage, I think, that's especially useful for single adults and teenagers. And I'm going to go down a rabbit trail for a few minutes, several minutes. I highly recommend everyone in this room memorize First Thessalonians 4 through, through 8. Because of the stage of life you're in, you're single adults. You face temptations. You face temptations of a sexual nature because you're sexual beings. God made you a man or a woman. He gave you desires. That's all good. He said it was very good. But he also says you can hurt yourself with this. And you can hurt other people with this. It's kind of like a chainsaw. Uh good in the right place, in the right hands, and but if you give it to an eight-year-old and let him run through the house with it, uh, it's no less powerful, but it will tear up stuff. So, what is God's word? How, do, how many here want to know God's will? Good. <laughs> Guess what? Verse Thessalonians 4, 3-8 starts with, for this is the will of God. Huh. Ready? Your sanctification. Your holiness, right? That you should abstain from sexual immorality. That's God's will. He said you want to know God's will. He does not want you to do that. That each of you should know how to possess. I'm going to come back and exposit this and then I'm just going to read it now. That each of you should know how to possess his own vessel, the body, in sanctification and honor, not in passion and lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one should take advantage of and defraud his brother in this matter, because the Lord is the avenger of all such. As we also forewarned you and testified, for God did not call us to uncleanness, but in holiness. Therefore he who rejects this does not reject man but God who has also given us his Holy Spirit. It would be hard for me to think of a passage of Scripture that speaks more directly to the issues of sexual temptation uh, for a premarital couple than this passage does. But if you don't know it, and it ain't handy, it's not going to do you any good. That's why I think you ought to memorize it. Now, Just get on it. You can have this down pretty quick. It begins with an explicit declaration. In this case, and I think this is good to do on passages you're going to memorize, whether it's a proverb or whatever, take a little time to study it, to think about it. Don't just memorize the words. Read some commentaries. Get some input on it so that it kind of helps fill it out and make sure you understand it. So this begins with an explicit declaration declaration regarding God's will. It is God's will for you to be holy. It's not always his will for you to be happy. He he, he wants you to be happy a lot of times. But first he wants you to be holy. Because he knows in the end that's what will make you happy. This means that God intends for us to be set apart from unbelievers and set apart unto him. So we look at the world around us. They don't care about this, or at least they act like they don't. But they also will have a payday. They're also investing in the future. And there will be a payday for that too. In broken marriages, in ruined lives, in all kinds of other things I'll remind you to think about uh, God's word limits us, right? And we think that restricts us. But earlier we read, the truth will set you free. When is a train the most free? On the tracks or off? But it limits the train, right? You can only go where the tracks go. But that's how you get to where you need to be. And if you say, no, I don't like tracks. I don't like being limited. Okay, go for it. Let's see how that works out. And that's the way God made us. He made us to run on the tracks. He gave us His word, His law, because He loves us, not because He's a killjoy. So, the man and woman are therefore to conduct themselves. In a manner that reflects the fact that they belong to God. I am not an unbeliever. I am a believer. I'm a follower of Jesus. As followers of Jesus, they have already denied themselves, right? Taken up their cross to follow Him. I died to myself. That's the fundamental starting place of being a Christian. And now, in this exclusive relationship, uh, uh, as a man and a woman, if if they become a couple, they're dating or courting and and pursuing that relationship, um, they are going to extend that self-denial as an act of love and sacrifice. In the Bible, love is about sacrifice and self-denial. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Love is about me denying me for the sake of the beloved, not the other way around. Not self-gratification, but honoring the object of the love. It is not uncommon for a couple who who have love and affection for one another to justify immoral sexual activity with each other on the grounds that they are in love and they're committed to one another or that they're married in God's eyes. But they are not married in God's eyes until they are actually married in everyone else's eyes. As I like to say in Texas, if you're married in the eyes of Texas, then you're married in God's eyes. Okay? (laughs) Okay. That will happen on the wedding day and not one minute before. Until you are in a covenant, you are not married in God's eyes. That's what the covenant is for. Because with the covenant comes duty and responsibility. That's the covenant. That provides the protection. That's where the privilege comes, is in the context of the duty. Not before. In fact, the only time you can say with certainty that this other person is going to be your husband or wife, I mean, I'm saying, I'll emphasize, the only time you can say with certainty is after you're married. Something could happen. Right? Prior to that, they are a potential husband or wife. And more than a few couples, including engaged couples, have broken up. And if you've been sexually immoral with that person, then you have been sexually immoral with someone else's future husband or wife. And while there must be commitment to one another, that commitment must be one that obeys God by loving your neighbor in the manner that is consistent with God's will. True love is self-sacrificing, not self-indulging. So your desire must be channeled to motivate you to glorify God with your body and to obey the boundaries that he has set. So abstaining from sexual immorality refers to all kinds of sexual immorality. So sexual attraction is powerful, but that's not an excuse not to be holy. The two most powerful gifts that God gave to Adam and Eve were their minds and their sexuality. With these two gifts, they were to rule the earth and fill the earth. With both of these, they were to glorify God. Sin corrupted both of these powerful things. And they remained powerful, but rather than glorifying God, they became destructive I already mentioned the chainsaw as an illustration. Here's what's important. Sexual sin, like all sin, separates and kills. Death is separation. Death is not non-existence. So when someone dies, they didn't stop existing. They're cut off from us physically because we're human, physical beings. Their bodies are dead. We put it in a box and we put it in the ground. And we can't talk. We can't commune with them anymore. We're separated from them. But they didn't stop existing. So when when, we, when sin comes in, the Bible says sin has separated us from God. We died. Hell is eternal separation. Life is communion, and that's the goal. In fact, another little rabbit trail here. If I could write words on the wall of every home every Christian home, would would say, this is a place of loving communion. That's the mission statement. And every single thing you do, take out the trash, fix dinner, pay the bills, spank the children, have people over, worship, make love, whatever it is, is to serve the loving communion. The devil can take any one of those and do the opposite with it. You can have a fight over who's going to take the trash out. Now we broke communion. Now we're sinning against each other. Now we're mad. I'm not talking to you. I don't want the devil to win. How about you? So when I recognize what he's up to. That he's going to take all these good things that God's given us in the family. And he can use them to tear the family apart. Or the communion apart. our church the same way or any other community of people, I'm on the lookout. I'm not going to let him do that. So we're going to put in place things that help keep keep us on track. Scripture memory is one of those. So back to this passage. So sexual sin separates and kills. It destroys relationships, marriages, families, societies. It often leads to guilt, disease, pregnancy, abortion, divorce, and much more. And God's design for sex is within the confines of the marriage bed where it is honorable and undefiled. It's beautiful. It's glorious. It's a gift. It's important to, now, remember, I don't want to lose track of why I'm doing all this. I'm taking time to exposit a passage that I want you to memorize because all of this is packed in there. And then you have it at your disposal. It's important to note that our entire bodies are sexual, not just particular parts of our bodies. Sometimes couples are indignant that parents want them to not have physical contact, particularly in the early stages of getting to know each other. Something as simple as holding hands, though, is sexual. That doesn't mean it's bad, but we need to recognize what it is. That's why couples want to do it, right? They like it. It's not a sin, but it can become one. Let me give you an illustration here. Um, Sometimes, let's say, a guy comes to me, the pastor. The pastor is thinking about buying a bass boat. Would that be a sin? I got a few more questions to ask. Uh, Are you paying your bills? And what are you going to do with this bass boat? Are you going to to go into debt? Are you going to stop tithing? Are you going to stop coming to church because you're using the bass boat on the weekends? You know, probably for you, it's a sin. Now this other guy, he can buy 10 bass boats. Because he's not doing those things. So in other words, it's not always a simple answer, uh, not a cookie cutter answer. i got to know, what, what are your circumstances? And that's, that, that's the way it is with a number of these things. Uh, In this context, hugs and sitting close are expressions of sexuality. Let's just acknowledge that. It's not, again, we're not always remembering what God says about sexuality. He invented it and called it very good. That's the attitude we want to have. And what we don't want to do is ruin that. Mar that. Turn it into something destructive and ugly. And so when you know that and the people who love you know that and are trying to protect you to get you to the place to get the fire in the fireplace and not in the middle of the living room floor, that's a, that's a good thing. And so we have all the tools we've got to be sure that we can do that so that we can get from where we are to where we need to be. So... Um, boundaries wisdom and accountability are essential if, if a couple is to negotiate these waters safely and if you're never in a place by the way where you can fall off the cliff then you will never fall off the cliff imagine a picture of a cliff and you say what happens is and let's say the edge of this carpet hey i'll do <laughs> this but it's a real cliff uh, <laughs> at least for me um, <laughs> okay if we get right here you say yeah. uh, okay that's we be careful you're, you're to fall. I'm, okay. I'm, I'm okay. I'm okay. I'm okay. And then a little puff of wind comes up, and I'm off. <laughs> and then I said, Oh, I didn't mean to. I got to mean not to. You see the difference? I got to be way away from the cliff. Where I, a big gale of wind can come up, and I won't fall off the cliff. So if I'm never in a place where I can fall off the cliff, I can't fall off the cliff. And if I'm in a place where I can, I'll tell you what, I will. I know me. So, using a passage like this, when you understand it, at the end of the day, I'll just tell my kids, my goal is for you to govern yourself before God. And until you can, I'm going to help you. Because I love you. But the goal is self-government under God. So I'm telling you, when it comes to these issues, you better make the rules for yourself. Because you can do an end run around dad and mom and the pastor and even God, at least temporarily. But if they're your rules, you say, that's not me. I don't go there. Nope. You've already thought about it. Why? Partly because you've gotten this passage embedded in you, and you say, oh, I know what I'm supposed to be doing. I've got the Word of God lighting my path, So, i got a path out there, and I've got the lights on, high beams, so I can see where I'm going, and no, I'm not going over there. I know what happens to people who go over there. I ain't going. Now, if you're never in a place, again, uh, where you can fall, you won't. And I will say that these kinds of things happen to the best of couples, and it's usually because they're not very well equipped. They have good intentions, but they're not equipped. We are admonished by this text that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in passion or lust like the Gentiles who don't know God. It is your responsibility, individually, to be in control of your body and your passions. Sexual passions often override our brains, and they must not be allowed to do that, which means we must not allow ourselves to be in places and circumstances where that can happen. Oh, we're just going to sit in the car and talk. No, you're not. Not for long. Not if you're normal. You're... Weirdo, then that's a different problem. We'll get some different passages for you.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: it is proper for a husband to always be intoxicated with the love of his wife, but that intoxication. is is reserved for marriage and rather than being under the influence of your passions you must be under the influence of the Holy Spirit and he would never lead you to sexual immorality I was in college at OBU a friend uh, who later became a pastor Um, but he showed up one night uh, where's the name your grandfather uh, was, was roommates with her grandfather, Booth and Lincoln. Um.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> he slept with one aisle.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: um, friend shows up, and he has been with his girlfriend, and he says he had, gone too far with her but he believed it was God's will because uh, he was going to marry her and he loved her so much and and it just felt right and thankfully uh, Tom and I quickly rebuked him for that uh, but it was not God's will and uh, it was not right and by the way she did not become his husband I think they broke up next week um so um, it's amazing what we can justify. So back to this: <clears throat> disobedience to God always comes with a price. We're talking about investment. Wages of sin is death. Sin and death it separates. It separates us from God. It separates us from one another. By the way, another thing you can do if you're in a relationship: pray together every time you're together. I don't care if it's one sentence. Lord bless us tonight. Bless her and she prays. Bless him. You invoke the presence of God. You cultivate an awareness of His presence. That helps. Start the date, end the date that way. That'd be a great way to just develop a little habit that helps you. Um, so, God invented sex. He called it good. And its goodness comes in the context of marriage where it unites and it creates true communion. Making love, I think, is a good term in that context. And when we violate God's perfect plan, there are always consequences. Um, The Apostle Paul says regarding those who transgress in the area of sexual immorality in this text that the Lord is the avenger of all such, as we also forewarned you and testified. So we may have mentally, I always like to say, when you sin, when I sin, we become atheists at least for a few minutes. It's the kind of thing you wouldn't do that if other people were around. And you sure wouldn't do it if you really thought God was there. And so you've got to get God out of the room or out of the car for a few minutes while you sin. And you've got to be an atheist. You have to deny him to do that. Now, what happens if you're a believer? He comes rushing back in as soon as you've finished. The lights come on, and now, you know, the, the difficulty begins. So instead of producing communion and joy, it produces shame and guilt. So you may think you're alone uh, with one another, but you're not. And, you know, I love to the children's catechism. Can you see God? And the answer no. But he can always see me. Maybe you want to m- memorize that one uh, as, a, as a bonus. This is not another reason. Uh, this is another reason why the habit of praying get, I already mentioned that uh, is so important. For God, the text back to the text. For God did not call us to uncleanness, but in holiness. So you are first and foremost Christians. That's your identity. That's who you are, not just what you do. Not just a set of beliefs. It's who you are. Jesus is your Lord. It means he's the boss of you. You work for him. You're called to be like him. You represent him. And moreover, you're called to help one another be like him. That's what sanctification or holiness is all about. Uncleanness or sexual immorality is the opposite of holiness. Again, the marriage bed is honorable among all. The bed undefiled of fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. All right. Yeah. <laughs> <Very hard. laughs> As husband and wife, you're called to a lifetime of faithfulness to God and to one another, and that faithfulness must begin when? Now. Right this minute. Faithfulness in little things so that you'll be faithful in big things later. Keeping promises now. Uh, Robert Capon in his book, Bed and Board, is one of my favorite books on marriage. Uh, And he says, uh, you don't need practice Having sex, everybody figure out how to do that. You need practice keeping promises. That's what you're going to really need. You're going to need to know that that person that you may marry and be with the rest of your life is somebody you can count on that does what they say they will do, especially when it's hard. Does that make sense? I want to know I can jump up and down on this, and it's not going to give way. So that's why, another reason this is important. Um, all right, near the end of this here. Therefore, he rejects this, the text says, um, does not reject man, but God. So, everything we've gone through here in this text, don't think this is just some advice the Apostle Paul's giving or your dad or your mom or your pastor, he says, if you reject this, you're not rejecting man, you're rejecting God. You're saying, God, I don't care what you say about this. I'm going to do it my way. Sound familiar? The Garden of Eden? We'll be as God. We'll determine good and evil for ourselves. God says this is evil, and I think he's wrong. And I'm going to do it my way. Because I want something. Uh, guy, oh I couldn't keep my hands off her because I love her so much no you love you so much that's the problem don't blame it on her um, this text explicitly lays before you what, God, uh, what God's will is for you in the area of sexuality it is clear it is unequivocal and this is why I'm asking you to memorize this passage of scripture so that it is constantly with you to help you remember what God requires, you remember again Psalm one nineteen nine eleven. There, there is also in His ways by taking heed thereto, according to thy word. Thy word, if I hid my heart that I might not sin against Thee. Hiding God's word in your heart so that it's ready at hand when you need it is critical to your success in this area of life. This is the sword of the spirit. Do not tell me or anyone else that you're struggling with temptation if you've not taken the concrete steps to actually engage in the struggle. Scripture, memory, prayer, prayer, rules for boundaries, and accountability of others are all necessary if you're going to negotiate these rough waters. So I am thankful that this text contains this reminder. This is the very last part, verse 8. Who has also given us His Holy Spirit? But I'm, I'm, kind of thinking if I'm reading through this, yeah, well that sounds, uh, that's that's easier than it. I mean, it's harder than it sounds. I'm not sure I can do that. And God says, okay, then I'll give you the Holy Spirit. I'll give you some supernatural ability, a superpower. God has not left us alone in this. Your sexual passions are not a raging monster that you can't control. He has given you all that you need to help you keep your passions where they belong. First Corinthians six nineteen 19-20 Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the, Holy, of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? For you were bought at a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Oh, no, it's my body. Dude. No, it's not your body. It's a gift. You belong to him, body and spirit, and you've been given the Holy Spirit to empower you to do what you otherwise could not do. So God has taken away all excuses for failure. You know what to do. You know how to do it. And you have been given the help to do it. And now all you have to do is want to do it. I will conclude with this passage, and then I'll give you a, a sheet and discuss real briefly how to memorize Scripture. 1 Peter 1, 5-9. But also for this very reason, I think somebody else used this passage the other day. I don't know which one of you it was. Um, Also, for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue. Was this you, uh, Steve? Uh, Add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, self-control perseverance. To perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, brotherly kindness love. For if these things are yours and abound, you will neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then we're talking about investment for your future. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted, even to blindness, and has forgotten that he was cleansed from the old sins. Um, a couple of people the to pass up these pages here, everybody. Mm-hmm. Have, them, have them around, whatever. Uh, The Navigators have a great memory system called the Topical Memory System, and I've kind of given you a page summary here about how to hide God's Word in your heart. And I want to mention a few points uh, that are made in this... Down there to the middle part where it says why topics. Two important reasons for knowing the topics of the verse you memorize are that the topics help you understand the meaning of the verses, and the topics give you a mental hook with which to draw a particular verse from memory when you need it by assigning a topic like anger, or uh, purity, or anxiety. And attaching it to the verse as part of the memorization, it becomes a filing system in your brain. So there's a, an association of those things. So when you're getting angry, I'm angry, and then oh, those verses are right there uh, uh, by association. So it's just a, a, a mnemonic device to help you uh, make use of the verses you memorize, and then. Um, Knowing the references is critical, so you're going to memorize what the navigators will call the address of the verses, you know, Ephesians 4, 5, and 6, uh, so you're going to say the topic, you're going to say the address, you're going to say the verse, and then you're going to say the address again, and you're going to memorize that as a package. Think uh, I think the translation that you use regularly, one of the problems I've got is I, when I first started doing this, I did a lot in King James and then went through a period of a number of years where I used the New American Standard and then now I use the New King James, so sometimes I get a hybrid version of these verses uh, uh, because I've used them a lot over the years, but sticking with uh, uh, the, the translation that you use and that you want to memorize in, and, and I think one of the most important things is making yourself do this perfectly, not no paraphrasing. Um, you want to learn it. It's the word of God. You want to handle it carefully, and not you know, kind of oh you know, that verse kind of says make yourself learn it as it is translated and written. Uh, it's, a, it's just a good discipline. And so what I like to do is write it out on a card. That's what was good for me. I could stick it in my pocket. I could put it in the car. I could have it with me easily. So, and then, so let's say you had uh, Philippians 4, 5, and 6, and you'd be anxious for nothing and everything. Well, this, the first day, you don't probably learn the whole thing. There's a couple of verses there. Learn the first phrase. Tomorrow, I have the second phrase. Look at the card. Say it. Look at the card. Say, it. say the top, Always say the topic and the address and however much of the verse you can say and then read the rest of the verse. Within three or four days, especially, let's say on Ephesians 4, 5, and 6, you'll have that down pretty good in three days. Maybe the fifth day you know, when you're reviewing it, you talk oh, I got stuck. Now, what is that? Where does the Thanksgiving part of that go? Um, and you have to get your card out and look again. So you'll have a couple of days where you have to keep your card handy to check yourself. If you have a friend, somebody else doing it, say it out loud. That's another little thing I've learned in learning things is reading is one thing. If you can read it and read it out loud, then you're also hearing it. That's enough for me. That's, that's why I used to study for tests. i go somewhere and paste and read out loud. To get it through more than one channel. Uh, even so I'm going to write it out. I'm going to say my verse by writing it. Uh, There's a lot of ways you can do it to reinforce this, but I don't want to scare you here because it doesn't take a lot of time. I mean, I, when I say three days, I'm talking about like two or three minutes, and, and maybe on the first day or two, you say, I'm going to do it in the morning, I'll do it again at lunchtime, I'll do it again before I go to bed, and then I'll do that again tomorrow, then by the third day, you've got it. And by the fifth day, you don't even need your card. You'll, you'll have it here. But what you're going to do is you want to say your verse every day for six weeks. Now, you may be adding other verses to that. You could say, I'm going to, after I learn these two, I'm going to go ahead and add another one. So let's say you're going to learn six different verses, six different topics. I usually like at least two passages for each topic. Um, well, in six weeks, I say you know six passages, whether it's one or two verses. And now you're also so that means each day you are rehearsing six verses. If that was Ephesians or Philippians four, five, and six, how long would that take you to review six of those? About two minutes, maybe three. In your head while you're driving, uh, or again, my point is it doesn't take much time. Use some of that downtime for something to invest in something that's going to change your life forever. Uh, so I'm, I'm telling you this: you do this, and then in a year's time, you've learned a bunch of verses. Some of you will be able to do more or less, do a little faster and slower. The habit is the critical thing. So, uh, you may want to sit down and say, I'm going to write out 12 cards. Because uh, that's my goal, is to learn these 12. Yes, I've got six topics, 12 verses, and that's what I'm going to do. Or maybe you start with this one. This is, this is uh, five verses, right? Yeah. Um, so, I'm going to start with this one. And because it's a little longer, it may take you a week to get it down, and a little longer because it's more verses. So don't don't overload yourself. If you're, but, but again, if you'll just find that time to do that, that will work. And again, this talks about finding the best time why uh, why to learn uh, learn it word perfectly. Any questions or comments about that at all? I'd be happy to talk with you about it later. I know that. Um, my grandfather, before he passed away, he bought, um, you can still buy them. They're like little packets yeah. that have like. I have a bunch of those. Yeah, and so that's
1: been really helpful to just keep in my car.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I, you go to Nav Press, uh, they publish packets over different topic packets. Uh, so are just what's nice about them is they're printed out. I think you, you can get them in different translations of the Bible, and they're tidy, and you don't. Know, that is a good way to do it. And I've I, I used those. I've got a box that has a bunch of them in it. Anything else? Father, we thank you for your word that you gave us that tells us the truth uh, about the world we live in, about ourselves, about you, about sin, uh, about how to overcome sin. And Lord, we have often been neglectful in, in tapping into to that resource and using it in a way that's productive in our lives. Help us to invest in that word and to uh, put it in a place where it will make a difference in our lives to sanctify us, to set us apart as your people and to guard us in life wherever we go in relationships and uh, in our callings in our families. <clears throat> and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 amen.